I'm Nicholas Bornois of Capital Inc. And uh, I would like to welcome you all to our 22nd Closing Funds and Global ETFs Forum. This forum has been going on for quite a long time. Uh, this year, we're holding it digitally, uh, and we are giving uh, the opportunity to uh, investors and uh, interested parties from all over the place to join us uh, in what uh, is expected to be a great discussion. Uh, I will, uh, I, I'd like to thank the sponsors, uh, the participants, the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and uh, I will turn it over to uh, Mariana Farina. Uh, Mariana, and like everybody else has been with this uh, event for so long, Mariana, please uh, take over and introduce our panelists. Uh, as you all know, Mariana is a research director for closing funds and ETFs and passive products at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute. The floor is yours. And again, thank you to everybody for uh, joining us today. Thank you very much, uh, Nicholas. And uh, first of all, thank, uh, thanks to you and to your entire team for um, having this 22nd annual Capital Inc. Conference. Uh, it is a, a wonderful event for all of us who have been doing close end funds for a long time to just get together, exchange ideas, um, see all friends. So thank you very much for that. Um, we're starting with an absolutely fabulous panel um, of individuals who have known uh, and, and done closed-end funds uh, from many perspectives for many, many years. And uh, what I will ask is to each of you, um, please introduce yourself very briefly, and then we'll dive into uh, the, the topics that we have prepared. Um, and maybe in alphabetical order, how about Bob? How about if you go first? Thanks, Mariana. Pleasure being here. And thanks to Nicholas and uh, Capital Inc. for arranging this. My name is Bob Bush. I'm a senior vice president. I'm director of closed-end fund products at Calamos Investments. Thank you, Bob. How about Stephen? And I may call him Nuveen Stephen because we have two Stevens. Thank you, Mariana. Thank you, Nicholas. And thank you to Capital Inc. Happy to be here. Um, my name is Stephen Davis. I'm a closed-end fund product specialist at Nuveen. Um, that means that my role here is really to support our internal uh, sales teams in their conversations uh, with clients. And I act really as a sort of go-to resource in the secondary market for anything and everything related to closed-end funds. Thank you very much. And how about next, uh, BlackRock, Stephen? Hi, everyone. Thanks for uh, having me join today. Um, again, Stephen Menard. Uh, at BlackRock, I oversee the closed fund product here. Uh, what that means is we work on product development, product strategy, um, supporting our products in the secondary market. Uh, I've also been in this industry for a little over 15 years now, having seen it from both the research angle um, on the investment banking side, uh, launching new products, and now again, uh, managing the product here at BlackRock. Great. Thank you, Stephen. And last, but uh, certainly not least, um, Mike Taggart. Thanks, Mariana. Thanks, Nicholas, and everybody at Capital Inc. Uh, I'm Mike Taggart. I am a closed-end fund specialist at Aberdeen. Uh, my role is very similar to Stephen Davis's role at Nuveen, and I have a bit of a technical glitch where I everything I do and say is delayed, so I apologize for that. That's okay. Um, we can hear you uh, loud and clear, so uh, thank you. 
uh, Mike. And with that, uh, let's dive into kind of our agenda. And and I've um, sorted this agenda very intentionally uh, because I think talking about topic one will help us understand topic two, and that will help us understand topic three and four. Um, so the four topics that that we'll be covering is, um, first of all, especially very important, uh, leverage and the implications on distributions. Um, and if you think this is an interesting panel, just please make sure that you listen to the, the next panel, which is all about leverage. Um, that will be very interesting. Um, next, number two is um, we cannot we, we can always have, we have to talk about premium discounts with closed end funds. And that is extremely um, noteworthy and, and important these days. Um, you, you'll see, and, and we'll tell you why. Uh, and number three, um, we'll talk a little bit about um, IPOs. Maybe there's not too much to say about that these days, but um, I, I think it's uh, something to discuss briefly. Um, and uh, number four is uh, corporate actions. Seems like corporate actions have increased, so we'll talk about that. So um, let's just start with um, a discussion on uh, leverage and uh, the implication of that in distributions. And uh, what I've uh, told our very esteemed panelists is let's just have this as a conversation, um, fun conversation. And I know every one of us has been doing close-end funds for many, many years and even decades. So um, I know we're going to have a really interesting and insightful conversation. So on leverage and distributions, um, uh, Stephen Davis, um, can you kind of start with with that? Absolutely, yeah, I'd be happy to. So, so I think, as you alluded to there, Mariana, I, I think perhaps the dominant theme in the closed-end fund world in the last 12 to 18 months has been um, you, you know, rising leverage costs and their impact on closed-end fund distributions. Um, you know, we witnessed uh, uh, significant hikes by the Fed in 22 and, and so far this year. Um, and that's had the effect of increasing borrowing costs for, you know, many closed-end funds that, that, that utilize leverage. Um, and although we've seen yields increase um, and, and many investment teams have been able to book higher yields within their portfolios, often the case that hasn't been enough uh, to, to outweigh higher leverage costs. And the impact has been that earnings per share have, have dwindled in many, in, in many levered closed-end funds. Um, and that's meant that closed-end funds have had to um, reduce their distributions to bring those in line with earnings. Um, and we've seen that across many um, strategies, not all strategies, but we've seen that across many um, asset classes. Um, and that's, of course, reduced distribution rates um, and, and, and somewhat made less, you know, made closed-end funds less appealing. How has that manifested itself? Well, we've seen we've seen discounts widen across the board, and I'm sure we'll talk about that extensively in this in this conversation. But really, that is that has been a chief concern of advisors, and you know, I've handled many calls on 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 those issues to do with leverage, um, how we how we utilize leverage, how we try and minimize costs of leverage, um, and I, I think we're you know. Closed-end funds have, you know, really, really struggled with leverage. Um, I think we're coming to the end of 
um, the problems with leverage to a certain extent. Our view is that, um, you know, that the significant distribution um, cuts that were made by many sponsors last year and early this year um, are, are, are possibly behind us. Um, that said, we think, you know, rates remain elevated and they, they continue to be a risk. But I think the the, the, the risk of, of, of larger distribution cuts has, has somewhat uh, dissipated. Um, so I'll just sum up by saying, you know, le leverage has um, been an issue for closed end funds in the last 12 to 18 months, as we know. You know, generally speaking, leverage has, and, and certainly before COVID, leverage has been highly successful uh, and allowed many funds to um, increase their um, income and total return. Um, but it, it, it's, it's certainly been a, it's certainly been a negative impact this this last 12 to 18 months. Thank you, Stephen. Um, anybody else that would like to add anything, kind of what you've been seeing on your own funds? Sure, Marianne. I'll, I'll jump in here real quick. Uh, yeah, I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, when it comes to leverage in these products, it, it's really a structural component for these funds. It's not something that we're necessarily taking off or putting back on, depending on the market environment. Again, investors are coming to closed end funds because they are closed in nature and they, you know, that that uh, gives a benefit to the fund and the fact that it can use leverage, which uh, is not something that you know, open-end funds or ETFs can use. And so historically, closed-end funds, uh, to Stephen's point, have paid, um, you know, materially higher distribution rates. Uh, and the way that they're able to do that is through the use of leverage. And so, um, you know, again, while that maybe has impacted performance here in the short term, over the long term, uh, we have seen outperformance due to that use of leverage. Uh, a few other things that I think investors should just be cognizant of when it comes to muni leverage. Um, pay attention to also the mix between preferreds uh, and what we call tender option bonds, because the pricing of those uh, of the um, you know, the cost of that leverage uh, can differ. Uh, and, and when you look at that, also you want to you want to be cognizant of what the base rate is. And so most most municipal leverage, for instance, uh, uses a rate called SIFMA. Um, you know that has been fairly volatile over the last year, given uh, the uncertainty of the uh, of the Fed interest rate increases. Uh, there's another rate uh, called SOFR, uh, which was a replacement for LIBOR. Uh, you know, for leverage using that form of base rate has actually been more expensive uh, than the SIFM base. And so, uh, again, it's you know important to keep those um, you know those nuances in mind. Um, you know, when it comes to leverage, though, I think it's not all a negative story right now. Um, you know, one area I focus on in the market is uh, senior loan funds. Now, again, you want to be you know comfortable with the credits here. These tend to be higher, uh, uh, you know, high yield credits. Uh, but what we actually see is that, you know, those funds have been increasing distributions because, again, they benefit from the fact that short rates are, are rising. Um, and one, one thing just to keep in mind there is that, you know, when the Fed increases rates, yes, your borrowing costs goes up immediately. Over time, though, uh, your, your income in those portfolios will also go up uh, as those loans reset to those higher rates. And so, uh, again, you're, you're seeing uh, senior loan funds that are paying double digit yields right now uh, and earning those yields. Great. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, Bob, I'll get to you just very briefly. You talked about that the, the portfolios are also adjusting. And the way sometimes I explain it is that the cost of the increase in the cost of borrowing hits a little bit like a speedboat. And uh, the increase in the book yield of the portfolio is a little bit more like the Titanic. So good things are coming, but it just takes a little bit longer. Um, 
for for that benefit to be to be seen. Um, Bob, you wanted to say something. Hi, I'm I'm sorry to step on Stephen, but I just wanted to, to sort of elaborate on a point that he was making is that you know we've seen increased leverage costs this year, obviously as as the bond market has deteriorated, but it's really about what the reinvestment rate is relative to what the leverage costs are. So sure, you may see your leverage costs going up three, four, five hundred basis points, but if your reinvestment rate is is earning a positive spread then leverage is indeed positive to the overall portfolio. So this year, just in and generally speaking, you've seen equities, S&Ps up roughly 10% year to date. Bonds may be up half of that. So maybe the bonds uh, are struggling, the longer duration bonds are struggling with respect to their leverage costs, not so much the floaters, which Stephen's alluding to, because those obviously increase their distributions uh, you know, as rates go up. But equities on a year-to-date basis have held in there pretty well. And arguably, if you're earning... 10% uh, NAV on uh, on an equity fund, you're probably surpassing your, your leverage costs at that point. So the investor should realize that you shouldn't paint all of this with one brush. Bonds and stocks often act differently, such as been the case this year. And what is the leverage impact on that particular fund, right? Rising leverage costs, not always all that bad, depending upon what your reinvestment rate is. So to the investor, roll up your sleeves, look at what's in the assets of the portfolio. How are those doing? How do you expect those to be doing relative to what their leverage costs are and make your investment decisions based on that? Great, great points, um, Bob. Mike, any additional comments? I mean, I just would pick up on what uh, Stephen uh, Menar said about it leverage being a structural component of close, most closed-end funds, right? And how it's for longer-term investors and over the long-term leverage has benefited most funds. And, you know, shareholders obviously are concerned about that spread that Bob just mentioned. They're concerned about the increased volatility that leverage can bring. Um, but, you know, the portfolio managers are investing for the long-term and to change leverage to something that's tactical that you put on and put off Right. I mean, that's market timing. Um, and, you know, really nobody in the industry uh, does that. Right. So that that would be a, to have to use it tactically would just be another layer kind of of um, uncertainty and potential volatility. Great. Yeah, Thank I you. would just I would just add one thing real quick, Marianne, if we have time, I I think, um, you know, we should be aware that leverage uh, in, 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 in some portfolios can add to the duration of that portfolio as well. And I think for investors that are looking at closed end funds um, and, and want to take on some duration risk, you know, closed end funds are very, can, can be viewed as quite attractive. They have longer duration because of that leverage. And, and to Mike's point, um, you know, portfolio accruals are increasing with, with high yields to the extent PMs can rebook high yields in a, in a closed-end fund structure. If and when we see rates move lower, we're going to have a widening of the leverage spread, which is going to be more accretive to the NAV and, and, and can potentially be you know, a, a nice tailwind for, for closed-end funds. Great. Thank you very much. Um, and uh, how about if we move on to kind of our, our second topic? We kind of touched on it, um, and that's premium discounts, um, how the, the how the close-end funds are trading relative to their net asset values. And uh, we are at a very, very interesting point right now. So um, 
Blackrock Stephen, um, Stephen Menard, um, can you maybe start the conversation um, about where are current uh, discounts, um, where have they been in the last year, um, maybe historically, um, when have we seen these kinds of uh, very, very wide um, levels of, of discounts and, and, and reasons why we, we've gotten there? Um, maybe you don't need to answer all of that, but um, those are some of the, the, the points that I think I would like to um, touch I'm on. Happy to, Mariana. And you know, before we get into the specifics of today, I do think it's just helpful taking a step back and understanding, you know, that one, you know, discounts are a component of closed end funds. Um, they have, you know, closed end funds have historically traded on average at a discount. And so I think it's important to, you know, keep this in context and really focus on kind of what are the drivers of, you know, changes in discounts. Um, so, you know, Stephen Davis uh, mentioned up front that we've been battling higher interest rates. Um, you know, this has been the, the fastest increase in, in the Fed funds rate in over four decades, right? So clearly not uh, normal times. Um, and the impact of the, the leverage costs, uh, rising leverage costs, and the, um, the impact on both the performance and also the impact on uh, the distribution rates of these funds has clearly been a negative for the industry overall. Um, as Bob pointed out, right, I think you, you do have to look under the hood. It's not necessarily every single uh, category that um, has been hurt by this, um, you know, by this dynamic. But in general, we are seeing closed-end funds trading at wider discounts relative to where they have historically. Uh, I think you also have to be cognizant of the risk appetite of investors today, right? Um, you know, you can invest at the short end of the curve or even in money market instruments and earn a 5% yield. That's something that you just didn't have only going back 18 months ago. Um, and so again, I think there's a lot of money on the sidelines right now um, that is just uh, hiding out in uh, on the short end or in money market accounts, flipping that attractive yield um, and waiting for a better entry point. And so, you know, those two factors are really driving what we would consider to be negative market sentiment. And that's been the primary driver of premiums and discounts over time. Uh, you don't have to look back very far. You can look back to 2021, where most closed-end funds were actually trading at premiums. Um, and so, again, these things fluctuate um, uh, and, and, and they can change fairly quickly. Um, beyond just the market, you know, sentiment angle of this, uh, I think you also have to look at it, it you know, again, at the um, individual category level. So, you know, how do how do funds trade relative to their peers? Uh, there, I think these, you know, these aren't really surprising outcomes, but I think it's helpful just to note that, you know, performance tends to be the strongest, um, you know, driver of how funds trade uh, relative to their peers over time. Uh, we also tend to see uh, distributions, given these are income-focused uh, vehicles, uh, you know, particularly for municipals. If you uh, were to simply just rank sort, uh, you know, the uh, muni universe based on NAV yield, I think you'd see a pretty high correlation to where they trade in terms of a premium discount relative to their peers. Um, and then the last thing, uh, you know, and, and we'll get into this topic a little bit more late, uh, later in the conversation is around liquidity. And so, you know, things like mergers can help increase liquidity for, for these funds and bring in new uh, buyers into the market, um, given the fact that, you know, a lot of these funds tend to be uh, smaller in nature, don't trade a lot. Um, so the more liquidity you can bring to the market, it becomes more attractive to, to more investors. Um, and so, you know, again, just thinking about historically over time, you know, we've definitely seen, uh, you know, these uh, ebbs and flows in terms of premiums and discounts. Um, what I've noticed, at least in, in the last 10 you know, plus years, basically since the global financial crisis, is that we're actually seeing uh, greater volatility in these premiums and discounts. And so, um, again, while we're at, you know, historic lows today, 
that can quickly um, swing back, uh, you know, to uh, you know, to narrower discounts, narrower than the average, potentially premiums. And so, I think that's the you know, the, the important thing here is that for investors, you really have to be a long term investor in these funds. You, um, no one's you know, no one's an expert at timing markets, and so you're going to benefit from uh, the advantages that the structure offers to you. You know, namely things like leverage or accessing less liquid uh, investments, and not you know being exposed to daily flows. Um, in order to benefit from that, you need to be an investor through all those ebbs and flows. Um, so, for investors that are looking at the market today, I think you know you want to uh, you know one useful tool that I like to use is, is uh, something called a Z score or Z stat. Um, basically, what it tells you is that you know where where is the current discount trading relative to where it historically has been, uh, and adjusting for that volatility of the discount over time. Um, you know, I just quickly pulled from CEF Connect, uh, which is a great tool for anyone that's listening and doesn't use it today. Uh, it's a great tool for closed end funds. Um, you know, there's over 200 funds that are trading at a Z score of more than negative one, meaning that uh, their current discount is greater than one standard deviation away, away from where it has historically traded. There are a lot of funds that are above two on that as well. And so, again, I think there are a ton of uh, interesting opportunities out there particularly in this time period of what we consider to be tax loss selling season, which tends to be a more negative part of the year for the market. Um, but we're quickly moving into the, the more positive part of the season uh, where we see that January effect and, and tend to see discounts narrow in the new year. Thank you, Stephen. Anybody else who would like to comment? Yeah, Mariana, I think, you know, I think when you think in terms of where we've been over the last, call it 12, 18 months, I mean, it's almost been a perfect storm against closed-end funds as far as their pricing is concerned. And notwithstanding their NAV performances, you know, financial markets have been challenged, but you've had a rising interest rate environment, increase in leverage costs. Uh, you've had a, a weak bond market. You've had a weak stock market last year. Nothing performed well. Um, on top of that, you've had a primary market, which has virtually disappeared uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, I, I do believe a primary market does support the secondary market because you're out there discussing closed end funds and the opportunities. And, you know, it just it just maintains the awareness uh, of the product. So so it's it's kind of been the worst of all worlds, if you will. The Z scores have gotten a lot wider, uh, as, as Stephen has pointed out. The discounts have gotten wider. We were on average roughly about an 8 percent last year um, uh, at the end of last year. Now we're pushing upwards of 11 percent. So it's there's, there's clearly opportunities there. And as we all know, this is primarily a retail product. Um, retail tends to source closed-end funds uh, for cash, for capital requirements, relative to maybe other stocks they own or other mutual funds. So it's kind of been the worst of all worlds. That said, um, you know this might be the time where value does make, make a difference. If you believe that you were in an interest rate environment that is going to abate, that the Fed is going to sort of let up, if you will, depending upon where the inflation are is. Uh, that obviously is juxtaposition with where corporate earnings are, but I think we're likely to be in a better uh, market going forward than maybe where we've been. Um, there's certainly some great opportunities out there. And again, one of the things that I've always discussed about with our clients is that if you understand the closed-end fund space, you clearly have a leg up on many other advisors that may not be as, as conversant. Because there's some oftentimes some fantastic opportunities out there in the closed end fund space. And that's really what we try to provide here for our clients, um, wh whether it be on the asset management side or certainly on the advisory side, is to, to highlight these opportunities if and when they are available. Because 
candidly, it's the top-notch advisors, it's the top-notch uh, asset managers that are involved in the space. So you're getting quality money managers in this, okay? So have a little trust in them. And when these valuations become compelling, which they really are today in some aspects, may, may be worthy taking a look at, uh, at a lot of these products. I, I totally agree with you, Bob. Uh, most of the managers are really top-notch. Um, and in other vehicles, they may charge a lot more <laughs> than in closed-end funds. And then on top of that, if you get these amazing discounts, um, it, they are star uh, bargains. Um, Mike, yeah, it sounds like you would like, or, or Stephen. Oh, I can. Yeah, go for it, Mike. Okay. So, I mean, I've, I've long said, you know, the discounts on closed-end funds are features of, of closed-end funds. Stephen Menard mentioned, you know, that, again, that, that they're structural. And, you know, in my experience, the most successful closed-end fund advisors, uh, to pick up on what Bob was saying, it's the worst. Uh, it's it's the worst of uh, of all worlds, right? For in terms of discounts, um, the best closed-end fund investors tend to be contrarian investors. So you know when they hear that it's the you know the worst of all worlds, that's the time you know uh, to get in. And you know um, conversely, you know a lot of a lot of um, interactions you know these days with in, with investors, closed-end fund investors, you know they're looking to sell um, with, with the wider discounts. Right. And, you know, everybody has their own reason, whether maybe it's tax loss selling, maybe it's, they're just kind of tired of dealing with, with, with the widening discounts, but really um, again, the most successful investors in, in closed end fund world that I've ever come across are the ones that are willing to be buying when the discounts are wide and especially this wide. And, you know, again, as, as, uh, as Steve Menard pointed out, the, um, you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, you know, at the end of 2021, 20, uh, most closing funds were trading at premiums. Um, I think the average discount was like 3%, right? So again, it's it's cyclical, so. Stephen, you wanted to say something? Yeah, and I'll, and I'll keep it super brief. Um, you know, I think we, we, we put out a paper recently um, looking at current discounts versus short and long-term um, averages by asset class. And, you know, we know that across almost all asset classes, discounts look particularly wide, you know, relative to those um, means, um, particularly in municipals, actually, if you look at where uh, the, the Z scores and where the, the, the current discounts of, of munis across, um, across all credits really are, are stretched, uh, you know, where are they? They're, they're in the municipal sector but i think you know St stephen is absolutely right you know the z score is a great tool to use um we just want to make sure that we're you know we understand the asset class we understand our risk tolerances we understand leverage but we view z scores as an excellent tool to you know screen um funds for you know sort of further research and and, and making sure those funds fit in with our other investment objectives and you know, when it comes to a z-score that the more negative the better kind of thing conversely thanks thank you Stephen, for mentioning the uh the report or the document that you've put out do you mind um explaining how uh individuals could access that and right after that i know blackrock Stephen, i know that you've put out uh, a document on uh premium discounts of closed-end funds maybe you could go right after that um telling where investors can find uh, the blackrock document yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll be real quick. Yeah, we 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 published uh, an article discovering value in discounted closed end funds. It's available on our website, um, and you know we can you know happy to chat with any advisor after this call and and, and go through that uh, white paper. Uh, so it's available on the website. We looked at you know various asset classes, and we we, we looked at you know we examined how to use these Z scores to you know really understand what they mean and you know avoid value traps and. And so on and so forth. Um, but I'll, I'll I'll hand over to Stephen as well. Yes, and, and thank you, Mariana, for uh, for that call out. Uh, so on on BlackRock.com, uh, if you're using the Advisor Center, uh, you would go under the Products tab, uh, Products, and then uh, Closed End Funds, and scroll down. Uh, the the paper is called Understanding Closed End Fund Premiums and Discounts, and this is based on uh, very in depth research by our independent uh, risk and quantitative analysis group. Uh, very high level document. We're also looking into maybe publishing a, a white paper that gives more detail on how we arrived at these conclusions. Um, one one last thing I just want to bring up on this topic because I, I feel like it's worth mentioning. Uh, and all I think everyone on this panel has a product uh, with this type of structure, which is the term uh, structure. Uh, and so a lot of funds that you know every fund basically that's been brought uh, to market since 2019 has had a term feature to it. And so I think that's something that goes unnoticed to a lot of investors. And um, you know, most of these were twelve-year terms, so they're they're far off in the in the distance. Um, but you know, you, you again now you know some of these funds are three, four years seasoned, um, so you're getting closer to those terms. And you know, one one particular example I would use is like our, our BSTZ, which is a technology fund trading at a twenty-four percent discount, um, and it's going to mature in twenty thirty-one. So you have basically another eight plus a little over eight years, and you're going to realize three percent just from the discount alone every year in that fund. Um, another thing that you know I just want to draw people's attention to is that if you do your research, you can you can actually find even you know sig uh, more discounted uh, funds. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, BSTZ, uh, again, just using it as an example, does have a private allocation in it. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons that it's actually trading at a wider discount today is that, you know, there might be um, less confidence that that NAV is truly reflective of the values of those privates, which aren't priced on a daily basis, like the public equities that we hold. But uh, I would argue that we're actually, you know, being very conservative in valuing those, those positions. We put out a, a quarterly commentary uh, with all those individual positions, uh, with where we purchased them and where where they are marked today, and you know, in the hopes that we could give more confidence to the market that those NAVs are are more reflective, or even potentially penalizing us more than what they're you know where where those securities would be priced if they were to come to market today. So uh, worthwhile, you know, again, doing a little bit more digging on in terms of that that term feature, which again is another filter that you can use on CEF Connect. Um, and then, uh, you know, looking into the underlying portfolios for those value opportunities. Great point, uh, Stephen. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, anything else before we move on to the, the next third topic? Okay. Um, the third one is, and, and Bob, you mentioned the, the primary market, uh, so the IPOs on, on closed-end funds. Um, Bob, can you tell us um, what's going on there, if anything? <laughs> In short, nothing. <laughs> we haven't had an offering done since uh, since last year in October uh, when BlackRock came out with the Muni deal. Um, pretty much been shut since then. You know, again, the reasons are you're adding, having widening discounts, increased uh, leverage costs, just poor performance across the board because of financial assets, retail sort of uh, 
I, I guess you're having a sell-off because they're seeking closed ends funds for cash purposes. So it's kind of an open, open slate right now. Um, I think if I had to guess, and my guess is as good as anybody else's on this panel or perhaps anywhere, anywhere else is that you, you, what you want to do the first rule in putting a closed end fund together. And I did a number of these in my, in my, prior life is that you want to make sure there's a raise on debt for it, not only from the investment perspective, but also yeah, you, you want to be able to look at an area where they're trading well, arguably at premiums or at least close to par. And there just aren't a lot of those out there. But the ones that get, get as close to that as possible are more of the on the fixed income side, um, more of the ones that um, tend to have lower durations. Uh, for example, we manage a number of convertible funds. Right now, uh, we have two of our funds trading at premiums, um, which is a bit unusual for in the closed-end fund space. We have one that's actually trading right at par. So, but in the convertibles, those have the average on those is roughly five percent discount. So that might be something that's uh, something you might want to entertain. Global income funds right now are doing relatively well. Again, compared to to other products, they seem to be trading roughly flat. Um, again, I think on the credit side, maybe in the senior loan side, you're going to see elevated yields there. Um, and again, if you get a product where you're not going to be penalized for leverage, in other words, where inherently the leverage that you're paying is going to uh, be lower than what you're going to earn on the, um, on, on the return or on the cash flow, I mean, that's something I think that you, you, you have an, op an option to go out in the market with. But you have to be cognizant of all those factors right now. So the, the window is very, very narrow. And there's a lot of things that have to happen in the closed-end fund space, Marianne, as you well know, to sort of get it re-energized. Um, and it may be a while. I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like the the the, uh, the child in the uh, in the in the nursery rhyme. When they're good, they're very, very good, which we saw, for, you know, over the last couple of years. But when they're bad, they're horrid. It's kind of hard, right? And we've gone through these these periods where there's no IPOs and then there are some IPOs again. Um, right. Any other comments from anybody else on the primary market? Okay, we'll keep it short because not much going on there. Um, the, the next uh, uh, topic on corporate actions, I think there is a lot of action going on there. Um, so um, Mike, can you kind of lead us with this one topic. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Mariana. And, um, you know, being cognizant, uh, I'll, I'll try to speak quickly. Um, we're coming up on the end. The, you know, just look, if, if you were to look back historically on the on the history of closing funds back to the 90s, right, when you have these periods where, um, you know, the IPO market's dormant, you often have, um, you know, other act, sorts of activity, right? So you, you you've often had mergers, of funds, consolidations, product uh, line rationalizations, um, you know, things that, you know, Aberdeen has been doing lately, which is acquiring, uh, you know, one fund firm acquiring funds from another uh, fund firm and that sort of thing. So, you know, we have seen quite a bit of that, um, uh, especially in terms of consolidation, you know, both new on, you know, Nuveen and I think BlackRock both um, have have done that extensively over the last uh, few years, and I know when I was at Nuveen, you know, we were doing that you know ten years ago already. So, and and they've done it since the '90s. So, you know, at Aberdeen, we've we acquired earlier this year, we acquired uh, the Delaware closed end funds. Uh, last Friday night, we acquired Tecla Cap Capital Management and therefore closed end funds. 
and um, it was announced that we will be acquiring a sh pending shareholder approval for first trust closed end funds, right? There are other firms doing similar things. So, you know, again, putting that into historical context, this isn't anything new. The benefits of having larger funds, um, you know, are the, the increased liquidity, which Steve Menard mentioned earlier. You um, also have larger economies of scale, which can drive down uh, total expense ratios. Um, and uh, you know all, all, all sorts of other benefits that can come out of that. So, great, thank you uh, very much, uh, Mike. Uh, now you mentioned mergers, and that's probably the most common um, corporate action uh, that we've seen. And Nuveen and BlackRock have done a number of them. So, um, any of the the two uh, would like to add here? Yeah, I, I can I can jump in real quick. I know we're coming up on time, but um, I would just say you know to, to Mike's point, this is something we do and, and have done quite a bit this year uh, as part of really an ongoing process to streamline the, the, the fund lineup and create economies of scale and all the benefits that come with them that, that Mike um, mentioned. Uh, we've merged two state municipal funds into a larger national fund. We've merged three senior loan funds into uh, an, an existing senior loan fund, JFR, thereby creating the largest um, senior loan um, closed-end fund in the market. And we're doing a similar thing with the preferred space. So for us, it's, it's, it's been an ongoing process, and I'm sure Stephen will sort of echo that. Um, you know, we see the benefits to shareholders, you know, the target share, the tar for the target funds and the acquiring fund. Um, and, you know, where strategies have a significant level of overlap, um, and, and, and can be consolidated uh, without significant um, alterations of the strategy. I think it's beneficial for, for all shareholders. And, and I would generally agree with everything that uh, Stephen just said. You know, again, these this is an effort that we have that's been ongoing. Uh, I counted uh, earlier, we've done 48 uh, mergers, uh, not individual mergers, but of funds uh, being merged away. So, um, you know, con you know, consolidating the lineup, making it easier for investors to, you know, focus on our on our lineup, right? Um, if you have multiple of the same uh, same type of strategy, there's no need for multiple funds. You can just merge them together and realize those economies of scale, save investors uh, money, potentially increase your earnings, et cetera. Um, one of the things I just wanted to highlight is, uh, the challenges with these things, which again are beneficial to shareholders, is that it's difficult to sometimes get the vote. And so it's really critical that we get, uh, you know, we get um, our clients and our shareholders uh, to vote their shares. And one of the things that I've recently learned about is uh, a Broadridge uh, app that's called Proxy Vote. Um, I suggest everyone download it. I, I have it on my phone. It aggregates all of your proxy votes across um, your holdings, regardless of where they're held. If it's in the in the Broadridge system, it'll pick it up. And it's very simple. It took me about a minute to sign up for it. Uh, and again, it's just a very easy way to, to vote your shares uh, when there is a corporate action. I'm so glad that you brought that up, uh, Stephen. Um, I want to finish because I see Nicholas's face. So that's, uh, that's uh, we need to finish. Um, just vote jo and vote promptly. Don't wait to prompt because it, it gets more expensive. Um, and the shareholders are the ones who, who pay for that. So vote promptly. That's what I was going to say. And I thank you so much to all the, the four very esteemed and, and wonderful panelists. This, this was great. I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, thank you very much. And um, passing off to you, Nicholas. Thanks, Mary. Well, 
I want to thank you very much, uh, Mariana. Thank you for moderating. Bob, Stephen, Stephen, and Mike, uh, I really appreciate enormously on behalf of uh, the whole Capital Link team that you joined us today. This has been a great discussion as expected, very well attended, and uh, thank you very much. Uh, by the way, this will be available as an archive to be accessed upon demand. So I'm sure a lot more people are going to come back and, uh, and listen to your uh, insight. Thank you very, very much.